Okay, welcome back. Continuing our weekly study of a mimer. Which mimer we're learning? Mime Rabim. Mime Rabim means? Many waters. Many waters, okay. And we explained that going back to the Alter Rebbe, the Mime Rabim, the many waters, were interpreted as the Tirdois Haparnosa. Tirdois Haparnosa means the mental preoccupation, the anxiety connected to making a living, okay? So the verse says, and the verse is originally from what book? Where, where is it from? In scripture? Shir Hashidim. Very good. Song of Songs by Solomon. It says that the many waters cannot extinguish the love. Okay, I, I understand now what the many waters are. What is the love? Which love? Okay, that's a little high advanced answer. Okay, let's start basic. Whose love for whom? Our love for Hashem. Our love for Hashem. And the Maim Rabin, the worries about making a living, aren't going to extinguish that, even though you might think that they would. Okay, now, as we explain, why don't the waters extinguish the love? Because, go ahead, now you can say your thing. We have that intrinsic love. Intrinsic love, innate love, very good. So even though the waters are coming inundating and they're going to wash away the love, and the love is like fire. So you would think the water would wash away, extinguish, that's the word in English, extinguish, very good. You would think it would extinguish the fire, but it doesn't. And then, remember last week, we gave <coughs> a couple of metaphors. The coals was the first one. Very good. I feel so good. It feels like we actually learned something. Yes. Okay, so why is the coal a metaphor for intrinsic or innate love? Because it's dormant. And then when you fan it, it's... Great, very good. Right, it looks like it's not there. You could, it's, I mean, sometimes there's flame coming out of the coal, but sometimes it, you can't tell that it's hot. That's why you be careful. Don't just grab those coals. Um, yeah, and then you fan it, and then you see, oh, it's, there's fire in there. Okay. Um, somebody left a, a, a nasty comment on YouTube saying, you, know, you understand nothing about thermodynamics. <laughs> so, I, yeah, he got really mad. He was, like, indignant about it. So... I'm not saying that there's an actual flame inside the coal. I actually don't know how flame works. All I'm saying is, if I take this coffee mug and I start fanning it, uh, flame isn't going to leap out of it. But if I take a coal that might not look like it's on fire and I start fanning it, all of a sudden flame comes out. I'm not saying the flame was there. Maybe even that's more point of the metaphor. The flame wasn't there, and yet just by fanning it, boom, all of a sudden the flame comes out. So don't tell me I know nothing about thermodynamics. I know very little about thermodynamics. And what was the other metaphor? Flint. What's the flint metaphor? You have to strike the flint stone and then the spark comes out. Right. And why was that like a whole other level of dormancy? First of all, you have to do more of an action. Right. Uh, but here's the thing. The more dormant it is, the more intrinsic it also is. The coal, if you take the coal and you put it in a bucket of water and you pull it out, you're not going to be able to get it to, to you're not going to get the flame out of it anymore. You take a flint stone and you put it in a bucket of water, or for that matter, you submerge it at the bottom of the ocean for a year, for a hundred years, and you pull it out and you strike it with steel and a spark will pop out. So the more dormant it is, also the more deeply rooted it is. 
And both of those are metaphors for the love, the intrinsic love that our soul has for Hashem. That even under conditions that would make it appear outwardly that we've lost that connection, it's always there. And it just needs something to trigger it or to activate it. It's always there. Okay? And just so you don't forget, we spoke a little bit last week about Tehu and Tikkun. Remember that part? Let's do that part quickly. We said, you might think, in fact, it would be very logical on a Kabbalistic level to think that the Ma'im Rabim, the abundant waters, would extinguish the love because the waters are from what source? From Tohu. Yeah, from Tohu, which is a higher level of creation that was unsustainable and it shattered the shattering of the vessels, right? And the soul is only from Tikkun, which is the normal order of creation. Um, and then we said, but surprise, the soul actually is from higher. From the ultimate source. It's from the ultimate source, which is, yeah, it is the essence, the essence of the infinite. Yeah, Shoresh Hashem. Yeah, very good. Okay. And because of its higher source, its highest source, its ultimate source, um, even the waters that come from Toyo cannot put it out. Okay. That's what we did last week. All right. Now we are on chapter... Four. Very good. First week we did chapters one and two. Last week we did, we did, we did chapter three. Now we're on chapter four. I think six. It's not a long mimer. Should we check real quick? How many chapters total? It's a short mimer. Short-ish. Um, six. six chapters, yeah. Okay. All right. So chapter... Four. I lost my place. Here I got it again. Vihine. Behold. Not only does the water not put out the soul's love of God, but rather you say to Mazu, even more, meaning an even more novel point emerges. Shall Yodom that actually through these waters, Naisa Yisrin Ba'ava, it creates greater love. Now that's a novel idea. It was, it was already a novel idea when we said, by the way, the waters will not extinguish the love because the love is inherent, it's built in, it can't be put out. Now we're saying even more, we're saying, you want to know something? These waters, meaning these distractions, these money problems that stress us out, and you would think it's taking us away from being able to relax and focus on spirituality. It actually, it's not a bug, it's a feature. It's going to help us to focus more on our relationship with Hashem. How is that po- That's crazy. How is that possible? Okay. Vuhu, and this is. Shal yidei yiridas haneshama lamata beilam hazeh. The soul coming down into the physical world. Vislab shusa b'mayim rabim aniskarim leil. And being invested within the many waters. You understand what we're describing? The soul existed before embodiment. In fact, the soul existed before the physical world existed. Now this soul, which had its spiritual existence, is ripped away from that, and it's plunged into embodiment. And he calls it invested within, because it's like stuck in it. 
And not only is it stuck in a body, but it's stuck in these situations, these situations of monetary difficulties. So we're describing now the mechanics of what actually occurs to the soul when, when it's plunged into this situation. Through this, it ends up reaching a level higher than the level it was at before it descended. Now I want to ask you a question. You don't have to answer so precise, so it's not, it's not a, don't be intimidated. Before the soul came to embodiment, what kind of a level was it at? Give me just a simple answer. The Okay, I don't know if it's the high. That's a that's a categorical statement when you say the highest, and then I'm scared to answer. But just give me a simple answer. Lofty. Lofty. Okay. Yeah, I would agree with that. Certainly loftier than the physical plane. Um, some type of a heaven, right? Some type of a spiritual world. Um, so, the soul was doing pretty well. I mean, that's its natural habitat, after all. So you know that soul's natural habitat is spiritual worlds. So the soul's hanging out at this lofty world, and then it gets yanked down and plunged into a body, trapped in a body. So that's called the urido. That's called the descent. And yet, what we're saying is, through this descent the soul actually ends up at a higher level than it started at, but it started at a high level. Following? Okay. And he says in brackets, That is actually the ultimate purpose of the aforementioned floodwaters. Pause. Everything was created and created with a purpose. The floodwaters were created for a purpose. It's not incidental to the floodwaters that they precipitate this phenomenon of actually activating a deeper, more passionate love of Hashem. It is actually the entire purpose for which they were created. If they weren't creating that, they wouldn't even exist because that's all they exist for. I think that's an important thing to think about. That the money problems, it's not like, oh, they happen to end up triggering a deeper love of Hashem. No, it's not, it happens to be. It's not incidental. It's not secondary. This is the entire purpose. That's why Hashem made it. To trigger a deep love of Hashem? Yes. Is that synonymous with Neshama even at a higher level? And that is synonymous with the Neshama being at a higher level. Exactly correct. So let's, let's spell it out. Yeah. When we say the Neshama will end up at a higher level than how it started. One symptom of that, I don't want to say it's one for one exactly the same concept, but one symptom or one expression of that will be whatever love the soul had of God in heaven, when the soul comes down into a body and experiences body problems, it's going to end up with an even higher level of love than it started with. Higher level of love? Yes. What about the actual soul? Does it go to a higher level after? So you, you want to know... The rank, like if it started off at world such and such, then when it finishes its embodiment, will it go to world such and such? Is that what we're saying? Yeah, it is, but I don't even think that that should be the focus. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. We're categorizing love as a measure of... I like how you're saying it. 
love is our metric um, for, I mean, after all, you talk about a soul. What's a soul? Like 5'11", brown hair, brown eyes, like description on a driver's license, that's a soul. How would you describe the attributes of a soul? Love of God, awe of God. I mean, those are the attributes of a soul. So if I say a soul has improved, I'd be describing that its love of God has improved, its awe of God has improved. That's what, that's what it means for a soul to grow, for a soul to develop. It means those attributes have developed. That's, that's what a soul is all about, love of God and awe of God. So if I say the soul is now on a higher level, I don't mean like he's able to bench press more weight. I mean that he's... He, He accumulated mitzvahs, okay. And that would be the effect that the soul's having on the world. The mitzvahs have a refining effect on the world. Now we're talking about the refining effect that the embodiment experience has on the soul. There's two things. The soul comes to a body for the sake of an improvement to the world, make the world a better place, but also an improvement upon its, on its own previous station. The mitzvahs really are physical actions, and as we've spoken about in other classes, especially in Tanya, the effect or the impact of the mitzvahs is the refinement that it has on the physical plane. The soul is not a physical entity. So the mitzvahs. Soul get refined from our life experience after we go back. Well, life experience, plane? yes, that, but that's precisely what we're saying: is that when a soul loves God, based on everything that it knows in heaven, that's one thing. But when a soul loves God after having had the embodiment experience, that's a whole new depth of love. That's what, what we're saying. What is Well, how would it translate? You mean, how do you cash it in? Absolutely, while you're still embodied, when you bring out more of your soul's love of God, you're going to translate that into doing more mitzvahs and doing them with greater motivation and greater passion. Could only happen through Mayim Rabbim? Could it only happen through Mayim Rabbim? I think there may be other ways also that it could happen, but this is a big way that it does happen. A big way that we experience spiritual growth is through material problems. What is so it with the ocean? Um, you said that the Nisha Okay, yeah, yeah. It's a great question. Like the whole need to have to make a living seemingly is dysfunctional because, I mean, we know explicitly it was I won't even say part of the curse, that for, for all of them at least, that was the curse, that he's going to have to uh, toil for a living. Um, that's true, but, all right, let me, let me say this very, very succinctly. All of the, 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 the sin of the eating of the tree of knowledge um, was like the first debacle in human history. Uh, there were others and the others that were even on par with that, such as the golden calf, um, or the destruction of the temple, and the sins that led up to the destruction of the temple. 
So there were a lot of times where there was human failure that led to um, a watershed crisis in human history. The way we view all of that is the same as how we view the crisis of the soul coming down into a physical body. Meaning, if you look at it as a snapshot, it's, it's tragic. Like, literally tragic. Tragedy is when this noble character has a fall. So when you have greatness falling, that's tragic. But if you look at it as a process where the fall is actually to build momentum for the rebound, then it's not a bug, it's a feature. So yeah, the way it came about that we even have to make a Parnassa is seemingly from a negative occurrence, but even that was all part of the process. Okay. And by the way, if you really want to trace this all back to the original problem, those of you who are in Monday Tanya will know that the original problem, the original concealment, the original condition of godliness being hidden was what? Even higher. Remember we spoke about the Tzimtzum Harishain. The initial concealment. So it really... So the new vessels are... The initial tzimtzum, when the infinite created the possibility for a place of finitude. That was the first problem, so to speak. Because godliness was being concealed. And then it sort of repeated itself, this pattern of different concealments. But when we understand the whole process of history as a linear narrative with an end goal, then we understand that each of these crises were actually sowing the seeds for, for something greater. Yeah. And this was final. Yeah. Yeah. You're calling it a Yerida. Yes. The, but saying that it reaches a higher level. But yes. doesn't it only reach that higher level after it goes through, by, by virtue of any work that it's doing here? So your it's question is, we're saying the soul comes down into Yerida, and then we're saying that through the Yerida it has an Aliyah, but isn't, I, your main question is, is that automatic, or is it, if it will use the opportunity, then it will have, yeah, <coughs> an aliyah. So um, it's 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 high risk. It's very high risk. It could even go the other way. God forbid. Embodiment is a very high risk investment. You're taking a precious soul, a perfect soul, a pristine soul. You're putting it in a very dangerous situation. Very dangerous. We know that. Not everybody will do well with their embodiment. Hence reincarnation. You get a chance for a redo. And yet, even with the risk, Hashem says, we have to go for it. Because this is the only way to achieve the ultimate purpose of the soul. Okay. But I, I want to continue. I want to finish here. Okay. So we're in the middle of the brackets. The whole purpose of the Maim Rabim was to 
evoke the response that it does, where we have to strengthen ourselves and end up being more spiritually focused than we were before. It's a challenge to bring on greater focus. Yeah. yeah. We went in this parsha where Abraham goes down to Yerida Last week, Lech Lecha. Lech Lecha. Yeah, yeah that's right. The whole sikha from the Rebbe going down, down and it's really coming up. That, by the way, that's probably one of the most common themes in the Rebbe's Torah, as you read a Litzayr I have a question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just mentioned that the <laughs> comes down and then, you know, the risk involved to come into the yeah. body, and then some people do and some people don't. Yeah. I heard something said to me, foresight is Bechira, hindsight is Bechira. Yeah. That a person has Bechira. Yeah. Foresight, before the situation is there. Yeah. Hindsight, that's what it was meant to be. How does that align with the end result of the choices that a person makes in this embodiment of neshama? Yeah. When, whether choosing or not choosing, to um, create the aliyah. So I'm assuming you're not asking on a philosophical level because then that would derail the entire class and we'd have to spend the rest (laughs) of the entire time (laughs) trying to explain a paradox that is ultimately incomprehensible to a finite mind. I'm assuming you're asking on a practical level. Yes. Okay. On a practical level, you got to do your best. You got to say every challenge. I don't know the outcome. I don't know. I don't know if I fail or if I succeed, but I got to assume that I'm supposed to succeed. And you got to try your best, and that's it. And then success is measured how that it's for sure. That's what it was meant. You mean to after the fact? Yes. If you learn from it, it's successful. If you learn from it, it's successful. Like, honestly, I'm not, I'm not trying to be glib. I mean, if, if growth is not always clearly linear. So in the embodiment experience, there is a lot of stumbling and getting back up again. Um, not that you should do that intentionally. In fact, you're not allowed to purposely sin in order to do tshuva. It won't work out for you. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's... I don't think anybody intentionally wants to hurt themselves in their lives. No normal person, you're right. Yeah, correct. Yes, yes, you're correct. No healthy normal person wants to mess up their life in order to have a comeback story. Nobody's, yeah, nobody's trying to do that. Okay. We're not normal. Normal is over. Okay. All right. Well, I think the way ways in which we're abnormal, even. it, it doesn't preclude this survival instinct of not trying to purposely mess up your own life. Yeah, hopefully. Okay. That's why ultimately the, the Maim Rabbim cannot put out the love. Why can't they put out the love ultimately? Because they weren't created to put out the love. It looks like they were created to... That, I'm looking at these raging waters. It looks like they were created to put out fire. Meaning I'm looking at these financial worries. It looks like they are pretty good. They're pretty well designed for distracting you from spirituality. And we're saying, no, well, that's what they look like they're good at doing, but they're actually good at doing the exact opposite. <laughs> they're, they're good at evoking a higher level of love of God. Because <laughs> the ultimate purpose of these waters is to activate a higher level of love. It's a very important point, is that this which you view as a threat 
you could generalize this to many challenges in life. Something that you see as scary, as a threat, as, wow, look at this bad thing that's going to cause bad things to happen to me. And really, God created that. Not just that, oh, don't worry, it's a bad thing, but it won't hurt you. No, actually, it's a bad-looking thing that's going to help you. And all of you are thinking, um, I want to think of a particular example in my life and ask the rabbi in front of everybody if his general statement applies to my specific case. But you don't have to do that because the answer already is yes. Guys are on the ball. Okay, let's continue. But rabbi, even... Yes. Yes. Well, how good are we at perceiving our... How good are we are perceiving it? Perceiving well, that's, <laughs> well, that's why we're learning chassidus to help us perceive. That's, that's why we're learning, is to hopefully get us more in tune with this stuff. Was anyone concerned? Did anyone ask the Rebbe, like, I'm scared, I'm having this stress, and I'm going to not love Hashem? Yeah, all the time. I mean, this is, this is, a, common, this is a common complaint. Rebbe a lot of times told him to learn Torah B'Tochem, the one that Rabbi Shay's tab, if I can plug that. Yeah, sure, you can plug my Shara B'Tokhan shit. Okay. When I was going through a lot of challenges of business and my father's uh, estate or whatever, I learned that three times in a row, back to back at 1.5 speed, and it really helped me shift mentally. Yeah, definitely Shara B'Tokhan. Okay. Shara All right. So we're going to learn Maim Rabim in order to get us to learn Shara B'Tokhan. <laughs> and then we'll just be learning all day, which would be great. <laughs> then we'll become rich. That's amazing, yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you remind me of, if we learn so much Maim Rabin that we learn but B'Tochel all day, and then we'll be on a high all day, we'll have so much trust in God, we'll, we won't have monetary problems or won't perceive it as such, and then how will we have more love of Hashem? You know what you remind me of? In Helm, <laughs> they said that everyone was worried about making a living, and it was just too distracting, so they hired a guy to be the town warrior. <laughs> that was his job. He should worry about making a living. And uh, so they paid this guy. That was his job to worry. And uh, finally they said, uh, we got to fire him. And they said, why? He said, well, he's got this steady job. Worrying keeps him from worrying. <laughs> so we got to fire the guy. <laughs> okay. Then he worried. Okay. Now, through the soul coming down into a body, what does it eventually do? It does what we call tshuva. We do tshuva. Returning or reinstatement. It is known that before the souls come down to embodiment, they are all tzaddikim gemurim. Now, those who learn Tanya with me, you know about tzaddik, rosh benin, and you know in tzaddik alone you have tzaddik v'raloi, tzaddik v'toivloi, which is tzaddik sheina gomer, tzaddik gomer. So tzaddik gomer is like the highest level. Perfect, perfect, perfect. But let me ask you a question. Souls in heaven, before their embodiment, they don't have a body, they don't have an animal soul. Aren't they all tzaddikim gemotim up there? 
Sure. Yes. So think about it like this. You have an entity which is perfectly righteous. And as you've learned in Tanya, perfectly righteous means not just it does only good, it only desires good. It has no desire for anything but being one with Hashem. That's your soul. That's how you used to be. You didn't want anything but oneness with God. That's all you cared about for eternity. And you were comfortable, more than comfortable. It was blissful. It was beautiful. And then one day, that entity gets a tap on the shoulder, says, put on the parachute, jumping. You're going to go to an embodiment experience. And you're going to lose all of this incredible um, tzitkus, your, your, your pure pristine love and awe. Well, not so much you're going to lose it. That's not accurate. But it's going to be covered up to a point where effectively it may at times feel like it's gone. And you're going to, you're going to look for it and you're not going to know where to find it. It's there, but effectively you're going to lose access to it because you're getting bombarded with the, with the embodiment experience. Okay, so we started off as tzaddikim gemorim, as perfect, perfect, righteous people. But you know something? The promotion that we get by coming down into a body is we become bali tshuva. We started off as tzaddikim gemorim, perfect, righteous people. Through the embodiment experience, we get elevated to a higher level called Bali Tshuva. Penitence, true penitence. Is that why it says, Tshuva Exactly. In the place where true penitence stands, even the fully righteous cannot stand. Precisely. Precisely. So somebody who has been tested, somebody who has been challenged, and overcame that challenge is at a higher level, the person who was never challenged. How do you define overcoming a challenge? I don't think that there's one definition of overcoming a challenge. In fact, I think that we continue to overcome challenges on higher and higher levels. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if there's one definition. But um, a simple definition is that whatever the situation is, you don't let it stop you or slow you down from doing what you're supposed to do. That's what it means. Okay. So, through the embodiment experience, we go from Tzadik Gomer to Baal Tshuva, which is an upgrade. An upgrade. The soul up there can't do Tshuva. There's really nothing, there's no resistance to overcome in order to become a Baal Tshuva. So it has to come down here for an embodiment experience to become a Baal Tshuva. Okay. Asher. Bemokim Shabali Tshuva Oimdim. In the place where true penitents stand... Tzadikim gemurim enam oimdin. The perfectly righteous do not stand there. And even more than that, they're not able to stand there. There's two different versions of this. There's the language that the Gemara uses, and there's the language that the Rambam uses. So one version is that they don't stand there. It's just a descriptive statement. They don't stand there. The other is, no, no, they can't stand there. Meaning, it's not possible for them. It's not within their ability. 
They can't do it. A tzaddik gomer looks at the place, the spiritual level of a Baal and says, I would like to go there. He can't get there. You can't get there without going through what you got to go through. So even the tzaddik gomer, who has this perfect love and awe of Hashem, cannot be at that level of closeness. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about high levels. We're talking about levels of closeness. That level of intensity, of connection, of feeling for Hashem, even the perfect tzaddik can't get to that level that the person who lost it or felt that they lost it and got it back is able to come to. And this is indeed the purpose for which the soul came down to the world. Why did, why did it come down here? To have a corned beef sandwich? Because there were no corned beef sandwiches in heaven? So it had to come to the physical world for that experience. You say it depends on the sandwich. Let me taste the sandwich first. <laughs> You know the Henny Youngman joke? He says, this bum came up to me in the street and said, how about a dollar for a sandwich? I said, I don't know. Let me see the sandwich. <laughs> yeah. But, but not everyone does, like, not everyone accomplishes that. Not everyone accomplishes it on the first try. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we squander the opportunity. We spoke about that. It's a high-risk investment. We spoke about that. But you say they squander it, but... We squander it. Yeah. Or you turn to drugs and alcohol. Like, if that's where, like, the space, I don't get where the space there is. God took us. Aren't we doing it right as, now? We're learning. We're growing. God took us from a situation that was a perfect situation. There was no challenge. And there was no risk. And therefore, no growth. There was, up in heaven, I'm talking about, the soul in heaven. There was nothing that was going to disturb us and make us lose our love and awe of God, but there was nothing there that was going to particularly inspire any growth. We were static. And Hashem said, you know what? Let's risk it. You got to risk to make, uh, to, make, uh, to make money make money. You got you to invest it. So let's, let's take a risk. And the higher risk, the higher reward. The risk is that it'll become embodied and it'll actually take seriously all the embodiment stuff and get scared of it and, and succumb to it and forget about God and, and waste its embodiment running after physical things and being intimidated by physical things. But when it goes back up? When it goes back up, it'll probably get sent back down to try it again. Try the embodiment thing again until you get it right. That's a crazy question which will be answered in this mimer. It is absurd that you even asked that. Why is it absurd to me? Because it was surprising to me that that subject even comes up in this mimer. So the fact that you're asking it means that you're attuned to what's happening. So that question will be answered at the very end of this mimer. That's, that's crazy that you... Okay, yes. Okay, put it in the back shelf. It will be answered at the end of the mimer. Okay. So this is the purpose of where we came down. So, Tam Shiyodan Neshamalamata, Ki Inyana Chuva. 
הגם שאינה על אבדס דווקא, כי אם השווס הנפש למוקד ושושו, because תשובה, and then he says parenthetically, and by the way, to dispel a common misconception, תשובה does not have to involve אבדס. No, it doesn't. It... Tshuva means returning to God. Now, obviously, if somebody, God forbid, transgresses, goes against God's will, so that which we call a sin, or an Aveda, then that person will have to do Tshuva. But you don't have to sin in order to be poised for doing Tshuva. You don't have to go that far away in order to return. In other words, what he's saying here is, you could never do a sin your whole life and still be poised for needing to get closer. So he says, the soul came to the body in order to do tshuva, because here's the deal. You don't have to sin in order to do tshuva. You could return from something that's not dysfunctional, but it just could be better. And you're returning to your, your intrinsic perfection. But, okay, you don't have to sin in order to need to do tshuva, but you need to be not in your normal place, what he calls your the soul's true place. The soul's true place, like we, we, learn, we learned in the previous chapter, is uh, is the, the infinite essence, or the essence of the infinite. So any type of separation that the soul has from that is a cause for tshuva. So follow this. Embodiment itself, even if you never sin, is a situation that is a cause for tshuva. You need to do tshuva. I need to do tshuva. What did I do? What did I do wrong? I didn't say you did anything wrong. You were embodied. You were sent far away. Now you need to return to your true home and your true essence. That's called tshuva. But the soul, if it would remain in heaven and not be embodied, then it can't do tshuva. Because it, it's just remaining in its place. Yeah. It sounds from superficially like a Christian concept. Sounds like a Christian concept? How much do you know about Christianity? Just superficially that. Well, that what? What do the Christians say? You know they got a lot of their stuff from us. I think this is actually, the, if you talk about original sin, this is actually the opposite. We're saying that your original state, your default state, is godliness. Right. We're saying something occurred that took you away from that, and that when you go back to godliness, that's precisely what it is. You're going back to it. So not that you come from sin and you're trying to get away from sin. You come from perfect godliness, that was threatened or disrupted, and you're trying to reinstate your, your original godly connection. So it's actually pretty much the opposite of the Christian doctrine of original sin. But what do I know about Christianity? Very little. If a soul has status when it's unfortunate, yeah. and it comes to a body, yeah. and it doesn't use its potential, mm -hmm. it's returned. Regardless of, of, you know, just the mere fact that it went through the urida, it already changes its status. Okay, so without getting into a whole side conversation, it may be argued that even a soul, an embodied soul, that you might think 
failed its embodiment mission, you'll look at it and say, well, what did he accomplish? What did she accomplish? How religious was he or she? And it is possible, like, what do we know? We know nothing. That just by having an embodiment experience and going through the trials and tribulations of that, there was a success. Right. Some degree of success. Success is not binary. It's not either you succeeded or failed. There could be a person you look at and say, well, how much did they really achieve? Well, how much did they achieve? They survived embodiment. Yeah. So that's my point. Is like the By the way, Mayim Rabim starts with just the embodiment. This is what he's saying. Yeah. Right. It, like, you don't ever have to bounce a check insufficient funds to have Mayim Rabim. Just the fact you're in a body and you have to think about physical needs is Mayim Rabim. Yeah, yeah for so sure. Just the mere fact that the soul is in an embodiment. Yes, is a challenge. And a, therefore, it's a setup for, yeah, for, right. for growth. Correct. And Correct. where does the Gilgal reincarnation come in? If, if you don't achieve what you need to achieve. But again, it's not binary. It's not like you either achieved or you didn't achieve. There's, there's degrees of achievement. So, yeah. It seems like the odds are stacked against us. Yes. In <laughs> yeah, well, that's the whole point. Yeah. Yeah, this is high risk. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You have a body, you have an animal soul, you have a Yitzhahara, you have a very interesting, distracting world. Yeah. And then you have people who are harassing you, and yeah, there's, it's, 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 it's very well engineered. It's a very well thought out obstacle course. And how come it seems harder for some souls than others, the embodiment? That's a great mystery. Why is embodiment harder? You're, what what you, I think you're talking about is sensitive souls mm -hmm. who are traumatized just by embodiment. Yeah, I, I mean, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this subject and talking about it and processing it both publicly and privately. I don't fully understand it, but I do know that there are people for whom embodiment itself is traumatic. Um, that just being in a physical container is a tsunami. Why do different people have different degrees of challenges? That I can't answer you. We know that it's true. And also we know that Hashem picks those challenges and does so judiciously, and each soul gets just the right amount of challenge and the right kind of challenge that it needs for its growth. Back there, yeah. Yes. There's more sensitive souls that probably in, you know, on one day you look at it and you feel bad because that painful is there in the reverse position, but in another way it may be that's what they are in that situation or time or greater or what kind of sensitive they are. Yeah. The, the, l l l the greater the challenge, the greater the achievement. Okay, let's, let's, let's continue here. <sighs> Sha'az, that then. After you go away from your source, then you have to go back to your source. And like we said last week, that verse, the soul goes back to God who gave it. Gave it means put it in a body. Goes back means post-embodiment, returning to its source. 
And since the level of the penitent is higher than the level of the perfect person, meaning the person who goes back is greater or goes to a greater level than the one who never left, and the Rebbe says here in brackets, in fact, it's categorically greater. You know what categorically greater means? It's a different ballpark. It's not like, oh, how many times greater is a Balchuva than a Tzadik Gomer? It doesn't work that way. Because if it's 10 times greater, 100 times greater, a million times greater, then it's still Be'erich. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, a comparison. What we're saying is it's a different track. Like, it's not like, how many times do you have to magnify the status of a Tzadik Gomer until you equal the status of a, a Balchuva? It doesn't work like that. It's a different track. It's a different track. It's a different experience with a completely different result. So it's when, when you go from Tzadik Gomer, which you were originally before your embodiment, and you become a Balchuva, which you become from your embodiment, it's not you become ten times greater, a million times greater. You become a whole different type of greatness. Yeah, right. Okay, so the difference between them is shaloi be'erech. Shalochen mokim shabali tshuva emdim ain't tzadik gomer miyachelim lamid beikenal. That's indeed why we say that the place of the bali tshuva, the tzadik gomer cannot stand. They cannot stand there because it's not like, well, how many more steps does the tzadik gomer have to go in order to get to the level of the bali tshuva? It's not how many more steps. It's a different ladder, just a different thing. Lochen. Ayyadei inyin ha-tshuva shumishchadish ba'neshama b'yidasa through this tshuva that happens, which is a novel new thing that only happens through embodiment, it goes back to a higher level even than how it started, which the verse refers to as the level of God who gave it. The soul returns to the level of God who gave it, but it actually doesn't return to that level, it returns to a higher level, because it jumps down on the trampoline and it bounces up, to a higher level than where it started. So now we're understanding a little bit better the mechanics of this Mayim Rabim. The Mayim Rabim are the challenges of embodiment and the whole purpose of embodiment was to take a perfect being, a Tzadik Gomor being called a Neshama, and how do you improve upon perfection? Not just, you, you can't do it by building on the experience that it's had so far. It's not like well, let's just have more experiences in heaven and you're going to get to a whole new level. It's just not going to happen. The only way for the neshama to go to a whole new level, to go from Tzad Gomer to Balchova, is to go through that urethra, through that descent. And then after that descent, or I shouldn't say after, because I don't want you to feel like there's something that only happens after 120, after you finish your life. It's happening now. It's happening now happens every single time that we spring back from something that would have challenged our spiritual connection and we go through it and we come out stronger. So this is the mechanics of this radical statement that not only do the many waters not put out the fire, but they even create a, a more intense fire. <laughs> so now you're, so you're what you're saying well what if I was okay being a Tzadik Gomer like somebody says you've got a million dollars you can invest it and make a trillion dollars or lose it all you know what 
I'll stick with the million dollars. That's what you're saying. Right. Okay, you're saying the same thing that you were saying earlier, which was, remember I said we're going to answer by the end of the mimer? Yeah. Basically, like, who's choosing this? Right. You're saying this is the same question, and it'll, it will be answered by the end of the mimer. Okay, all right, awesome.